Welcome to episode 26 of the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. I'm Ray Coop. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. And you know, we all have things that we call our favorites. And there's stuff that we don't like. And I mean, that's everything. Not just music. That's everything, right? Food, TV, movies. But when it comes to rock and roll and the history of rock and roll, (laughs) you got to narrow it down a little bit, or at least we do. This is uh, not our first time doing this, although some of you may be hearing the concept of five favorites for the first time. It's something we do here on The Imbalanced History, which is brought to you each and every time by the folks at the Crooked Eye Brewery in the heart of Hatboro, brewing with the cure for what ails you since 2014. This time, diving into the five favorites closet, God knows what we'll look like or what we'll be wearing when we get out. But uh, this is something that we thought of would be a lot of fun. Tell folks what it's all about this week, Marcus. This one's actually really challenging. It is. It is. It really is a challenging episode because your five favorite bands that are more than 25 years old who are still doing it and have pretty much done it straight through without an official breakup and there are some qualifiers um and they took out a couple bands that i probably would have had in my top five if a band took a break that lasted more than a little bit you know throughout rock and roll history marcus everybody needs a break every band takes a break sometimes bands break up because they need a break and in the case of what we're doing here we're going to account that bands will take long breaks but i want to do one thing right out of the shoot and take one of my favorite bands tool and set them aside as an anomaly because of the extremely long breaks between albums. They've put out, what, three albums in 20 years <laughs> and are still a band and will still go on tour and they're still active and I love them dearly. But I think we got to set something like that, which is the anomaly aside for our purpose. That gives you an idea where exclusions came from. Exclusions come from a band that goes away and then comes back after more than a few months or years. Perfect case in point is Journey with their wonderful success story, their break uh, from 87 when Steve Perry left and returned in 98 with uh, Steve Augier. Unfortunately, Leonard Skinner is in that category because of their tragedy in the 10 years between when they played and what came after that. Not because they haven't played kick-ass rock and roll for the last 20-plus years or 30-plus years because they have. Alice Um, in Chains is in that category. Yes, and um, I think Yes is in that category, too. Yes, yes is too. <laughs> I had a short list of pilots we yes. have to because of the break they did for Army of Anyone. Now, technically, the Who isn't in this category, but for my purposes, I'm calling them in the out of bounds category because of two hiatus they took in 83 to 88 and then again from 90 to 95. So there's all this kind of stuff. By the way, they didn't take that long of a break when both Keith Moon or John Entwistle died. I just want to point that out. Yeah, they. how long did they stay off tour when John Entwistle passed? A couple of weeks? It was a few weeks, and they really had themselves in a spot where they had to tour, so they found the best possible solution in Pino, Paladino, and he stayed with them for a few years. But that's another story for another time here oh. on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. <laughs> so there's bands like that, and, and you know, like Aerosmith's in, even though Joe Perry left and came back, they've had pretty much the same lineup, yeah. except for that period when uh, Jimmy Crespo was in the band ever since uh, 1969, so that's pretty astounding. Does Motley uh, Crue count because of their period with John Carr? Robbie. 
I think you got to say that if you go forward and you have a different singer or, or any different member, really, that it counts, especially if you continue forward momentum. Where that doesn't happen, as the case, is the journey situation, right? But Alice and Chains were officially broken up until they, they found Sadly. William Duvall, and that was sad. That Who was would have hearts. ever thought they would find William when they were first recovering from the loss of Lane Staley and all that stuff? Never but, thought that. Again, another episode that we must do. That's a great story in rock and roll history, I'll tell you that. So we're starting to establish some boundaries here. We both have bands that we love that have been around a long time. We have bands that we love that only have been popular a short time, but have been around a long time. And, you know, bands that never got that popular. We're talking about bands that have been around, right? Muse just got popular. They've been around for 20 years. Radiohead's been around for longer than that. They've been around since the early 90s, Yeah, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, 91, 92. Living Color. And Living Color is another one. So these are are our favorites. Well, that's why we do this little thing called Five Favorites here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. And without any further ado, I think we should jump right in. And uh, you jump first. I think the water's too cold for me. Number five. I'm going to say before I tell you who my number five is, I'm going to guess that we have three in common on this list. Oh, he likes to play this game. Yeah, I do. I think for some reason, I think we're going to have three. I can think of two for sure. And I, I, I have no two, idea. But I think the third's a wiggler and is a maybe, and I'm going to put the third one as my number five. If you're playing at home, this is how we do it. Yeah. <laughs> All I'm right, your number five? Cheap trick. Cheap trick out of Rockford, Illinois. Those rock and roll Hall of Famers, baby. They're, they have continued to put out rock and roll their way. Yeah. They've done it their way with their attitude. They have a tie to Philadelphia, which is as well. They lived here for a while. And um, got a lot of love here from radio. They when they hated it. Yeah. But I remember hearing Live at Budokan. I remember hearing their debut record, but being blown away in 79 by the release of Dream Police. Oh, sure. Just it was them at another 12 level. 12 years old, 13 years old, just going... Whoa, this is so cool. You got to realize for me, we just were talking about uh, the recent losses of both Eddie Money and Rick Ocasek from the Cars, but Cheap Trick was in that batch of bands that were blowing us away from that 76, 77 forward. Yep, and they never got that monster arena status level that Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones got, but they still write great songs. They still put together fantastic albums. Touring in 2019. Seriously, and they sound as good as ever. Robin Zander sounds so good. He looks good, that son of a bitch. Yeah, he does, man. I want to know what he's eating because I want some of that food. Tom Peterson looks good. Rick Nielsen looks good. Yeah. And I know Booney Carlos doesn't tour with them anymore, but he still, I think, records with them. Well, and the thing is... to see that they still are a tour de force on the road, even with the fan fuss that there was over Bunny being out of the touring band. So, so that's your number five. Number huh? five, and they're yeah, and they and their recent albums are all very solid as well. Fan fucking tastic band, love yep. them to death. Who's your number five, Ray? Out of the city of Boston comes a band that was once miscast as the American answer to the Rolling Stones. I'm talking about Stephen Tyler. Joe Perry, Brad Whipper, Tommy Hamilton, and Joey Kramer, motherfucking Aerosmith. 
Dirty, dirty rock and roll. Great choice. And I mentioned the period in the 80s when Joe left and he did let the music do the talking in the Joe Perry Project and then realized that he didn't make the best decision, I think. And uh, the path back wasn't that hard. Still love Joe. Joe and Steve go back to working together in summertime when they were in high school, I think. So all the shows, all the years, all the amazing albums and the fact that they're celebrating their deuces wild here 50 years after their beginning. My number five is Aerosmith. I love it. But since we do it the way we do, that means you have to also now share your number four. Well, the Rolling Stones have taken many forms since they uh, all got together. People have come, people have gone, uh, people have come back, I think, some people. Bobby Keys is a prime example of the member of the uh, touring entourage of the greatest rock and roll band in the world. The Fantastic Rolling Stones, my number four. And I don't know that you really have to say much more than that. They didn't really take a break. There was a period of time where Keith and Mick were fighting like brothers in the 80s, but they never broke up. They made it through many marriages and divorces, drug abuse and rehab and drug abuse and rehab. <laughs> <laughs> They've made it with the bass player bailing, you know, after way longer than he expected being in the band and finding people who would fill the roles that they need filled. They lost one guitar player. He died. They found another guitar player. He left unceremoniously. And they find through all the great guitar players in the world, the guy who probably could have been with them right from the beginning and Ron Wood. And uh, through all that, especially since the Rolling Stones records days, I would say from 68, 69 forward for a lot of years, they made amazing records every year year, year and a half. And then on top of that, they would go on tour and just turn the world upside down whenever they did. So that's why I give you my number four, especially a little uh, asterisk of extra love for the Glimmer Twins. You know, those boys kept it all together despite the problems. Yes, they did. And I'm surprised that they were at number four. I expected them to be a little higher. There's been a lot of talk about this next song. Maybe, maybe too much talk. This song is not a rebel song. This song is Someday, Bloody Someday. My number four is U2. 42 years together. I mean, at one point, I remember reading their articles in Trouser Press Magazine because they were hot then. I remember being turned on to boy by older friends who were like, you got to check this band out. Being able to relate to them because of the innocence and the youthfulness and the naivete of the music, which I talked about is why Boy is one of my all-time favorite records. And it holds true today. While I am not a big fan of some of their stuff in the 90s and early 2000s, I think they consistently have put out great music and great albums. And I think they have consistently been a band at the top of their game. Even from the early days of Boy, they sounded great live. And I will it. agree with everything you just said. How's or, that? And more. And I'll add plenty seriously. more. Believe and, me. No, no, no. Yeah, I'm no, going to add even more. So we don't have are, to go. So I know I'm... <laughs> I'm ready to wrap it up because number four, you're going to add to, I know they're in your top five. That's one of the bands as well as the band that is your number four. The two bands for sure. I knew were in both our top five. We will see. Are you ready to go to number three since uh, we're ready to move on? Not so fast, my friend, because you did your number four after I did my number four, which means you get to do number three first. All righty. My number three, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. All right. It's been a while since we've done this five favorites where I sat there and went, what? And and it would be really, I would be completely incredulous except for one thing, ladies and gentlemen. This man loves Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds more than you can imagine. 
Some of his early stuff is sometimes I have to be in the right mood to listen to because it's so sad, but he tells a lot of sad stories very beautifully. And he's an amazing storyteller. The musicians he surrounds himself with are fantastic. They play their sound their way. They do something as depressing and as sad as anything you can mention off of murder ballads. But then you see him get in and do Staggerly Live, and it's just as rude and raucous and as British and crazy as you could expect with people on stage some times and it getting crazy and then he has some of his stuff from like the uh which album do i want to uh talk about like the uh abattoir blues and the lyre of orpheus and then the skeleton tree in 2016 push the sky away all just really really excellent albums and albums that i listen to quite regularly not as much now with the little guy around because he's not feeling the Nick Cave vibe, but when <laughs> not I get, yet. Not yet. there'll come a day. <laughs> there'll come a day, or he'll be like, "Dad, you're fucking crazy." Well, that happens somewhere <laughs> before or after the day that they start getting into your music. So, Nick Cave number three. I'm a bit gobsmacked by this. I got to tell you. And, and he also likes to talk about Nick Cave because he gets to mention Berlin and the birthday party whenever he does. Oh, yes. <laughs> I love the And I can't wait to do an episode on the Berlin scene because the birthday party is incredible. Release the bats. Just go listen to it. Nick the Stripper. Ah, oh, just some good stuff from the early Nick Cave days. It's episode 26. Five favorites. Five favorite bands that have been around doing it for more than 25 years. And we're at the halfway point here in our little countdown. Well, Marcus, we can't do this podcast without the help of our good friends at Crooked Eye Brewing, located at 13 East Montgomery Avenue in Hapro, Pennsylvania. Yes, they've got the stuff, man. I'm telling you, the board has been full, and it's really good stuff. A lot of new things, and all your favorites right there at Crooked Eye. Meet Paul and Paul, the brothers-in-law who started Crooked Eye by brewing at home. You get to meet the Crooked Eye crew. Yeah. And they make it fun every night. I really like the staff there. And while you're there, you're going to meet new people, which means you're going to make new friends. That's right. Now, last week I went with two friends of mine who are home brewers, and they met Chief Brewer Jeff Mulherin, who's all excited about what he's been doing to fill the board there at Crooked Eye, always full lately. And he's got a home brewers club that I didn't even know about that meets regularly. So find out about that and all the fun activities at Crooked Eye by going to CrookedEyeBrewery.com, and uh, you'll see Jeff when you stop by. Great brews, great people, and fun times guaranteed. Next time you want a true craft brewery experience, stop by for a pint and make it Crooked Eye. Serving nightly in the heart of Hapro, Crooked Eye has the cure for what ails you since 2014, and we thank them for their support here on the podcast. Yes, we do. So let's recount where we're at so far, right? We're talking about our five favorites, uh, bands that have been around 25 years or more and without any significant breakups and stuff. Uh, Member changes are okay, but that's kind of where we are. You started out with Cheap Trick at number five, and I came back with Aerosmith. Then I did The Stones at number four, and yours was U2. Then we jumped to number three, and it's the stunner of the night, ladies and gentlemen. Nick Cave and the Bad, Bad Seeds. Seeds for Marcus at number three. Before you give us your number three, yes. do we want to give out some information on how people can share their five favorite bands from more than 25 years who are still doing it? Sure, why not? 
I think we should because, you know, it's really part of why we do this podcast is to interact with you guys. And we're starting to see more and more of it, like uh, our conversations with Bill and Paul and some of the people checking in on our Facebook page. So you can find us, The Imbalance History of Rock and Roll, on Facebook. On Twitter, Imbalance Histo minus the R-Y. Why Come won't on. they give us an R-Y? Come on, Twitter, we need that R-Y. It is silly, but we do have fun with that. Yes, we do. It's ridiculous. But... Also, you can email us, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. And you can find us on the Pantheon Podcast Network. That's right. That's our new home here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. But that's just a, a little bit of a, uh, an opportunity for you to chime in, give us your five favorites on this, or uh, just uh, talk about anything, really, you know, yep. getting some good feedback out there. And we thank you. And thank you, Canada. Did we mention Canada today? We have oh, not mentioned Canada. Oh. We love you, Canada. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We'll have the official imbalance history of rock and roll toque out soon for you. You bet. All right, number three for me, the one, the only, the mighty Metallica. These guys started something, and they're working on finishing it. (laughs) You know, whatever they thought they were doing at the beginning of their journey, They didn't know they would be around in the 21st century, 2010, 2015, and onward. So they weren't sure where the fuck they were going. They just knew they were going forward. And they did through, like a lot of other bands, through their own tragedies and their own changes. And um, all I can say is that they are one of my favorite round-for-round, pound-for-pound favorite bands, period, ever. And when you put them in the context of somebody who's been doing it 30-some years, and they're still doing it, and still selling records at a time when record sales were through the bottom of the basement, Mm -hmm. they were still selling albums and still continue to sell albums. As recently as the Death Magnetic Tour, they kind of bounced right back with the Metallica sound. And you know what it is when you hear it, you know? And uh, and I, I've, I've seen them many times. I got to know the guys a little bit, which is a special part of my rock and roll life. I've interviewed them all. And to me, it's pretty cool yeah. that Metallica is in the universe at the same time I am. I can't argue with that at all because they are a brilliant band. And like you said, I bet they had no idea when they first started out that they were going to become this big monstrous metal machine that completely impacted the world. We could get into a heavy metal time machine and go back to those Halcyon days and talk to someone who was there. Hmm. How could we make that happen here on the Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll? I think we're going to have to put some feelers out. Octopus. Octopus, get them feelings out. He's making the octopus face, ladies and gentlemen. It's scary, trust me. All right, the beak. I, I, I did number three. Does that mean I do number two? That means you do number two, Ray. Uh, You know, when I was doing my rocker show back in the 80s, I heard about this band and had just gotten their record. And uh, as they were starting to take off, their singer died from drug abuse. And uh, Andrew Wood was one of the beautiful souls in Seattle that is also tortured. And his death, unfortunately for people who are already deep in love with Mother Love Bone, and they kept my hand goes up immediately, that band ended when Andrew died. So Stone and Jeff kind of pulled it together and started looking for another thing to do. And they hooked up with McCready. And then they met this surfer dude from San Diego. Who was introduced to them by a former Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer. 
do you know which one it was? Jack Irons. Jack Irons. Oh, he's a big player in that story because yeah. he would later play with Pearl Didn't Jam. He even a bunch he was... of their stuff on their first and do some live shows with them. Yes, and uh, we're going to dig deep into Pearl Jam and all that stuff, and we'll get more into Andrew and the Temple of the Dog and all of the other offshoots and affiliates. But So they meet Eddie Vedder, and they get along great, and he's got song ideas that work real well with what they're already about. They keep having a rotating situation at Drummer, but they're moving forward because everybody's looking at Seattle like crazy. And face it, they weren't just looking at Mother Love Bone. New York had already signed Mother Love Bone. They were on their way to making it when he passed away. And those guys, yes, they were on the they were Star Dog champion, mm-hmm. Captain High Top, man. Oh, Don't yeah, get the, me started. Oh, dude, Star I'm down, with, I'm down with the Love Bone tune. motherfuckers. Oh. So they all hook up and they become Pearl Jam. And like I said, I was doing my show. And back then, radio wasn't loving Pearl Jam or anything that sounded like it very much at the beginning. And nobody was. I played every song on that first record. I I mean, I what the fucks and everything. I played everything porch on Well, you could. It's well, back then you could. But, but back then you could, too. That's true. You could get away with that without a problem. But we played that and played, played their music. As long as I did that show, we, we would play a new Pearl Jam record. But, you know, it comes down to playing a live from a cassette. As soon as I got my hands on it, I knew I wanted to. I didn't even really know the whole story yet, but I heard what I heard, knew what I knew, and wanted to be part of playing it and helping to break it. Over the years, in various settings, seeing them perform live, it is one of the great pleasures of life to go to a Pearl Jam concert, and you just kind of go. If you go with the even flow, bro, you're going to win, you know? Always amazing they always veer in and in some ways and this is going to sound weird to you but in the same way the grateful dead used to do the same thing as far as programming their shows they might have a basis for an idea but it could go anywhere and and there are a lot of nights that eddie and the band just takes the show off the rails and goes and does something else or a, a medley inspiration strikes them and it makes them a great band one of the greatest bands i've ever heard and i've heard a lot of them Pearl Jam's a phenomenal band. I remember hearing Alive for the first time and just being blown away. It was right before I got into radio, about two years. I'd heard Alice in Chains a bunch, and they weren't breaking through the way some of those other Seattle bands either were. Um, Soundgarden had Loud Love at that time, I right. think. And the fr- I remember the first time I heard that and was like, eh. The second time, I was like, ah. Third time, I was like, woo pretty good and then i heard alive and i was like what the fuck i love your reactions to stuff so, it was it was it took three listens of Soundgarden to really get them and mm-hmm. i fell in love with them and then i just was so blown away and then seeing pearl jam open up for the smashing pumpkins and the uh, red hot chili peppers on the blood sugar sex magic tour at the denver coliseum they were the best band that night they crushed the pumpkins who were horrible live that night. And the Chili Peppers were good live, but they were not as good as Pearl Jam. There was something special I saw them in the around air. that same time, too, and I know what you're talking about. You saw about. them at Dobbs, though, didn't you? No. Uh, for people who aren't from Philadelphia, J.C. Dobbs is your typical corner rock and roll bar, except for it was legendary. And they came in and played there, and there was something else going on that night that I couldn't miss because it was like that. when you I lived on South Street then, not far from the bar. So if there was something I had to go to down at South Philly or at the Tower Theater or something like that, sometimes it took precedence over a band that wasn't even on the radar yet. And I missed it, and I've always regretted that. But I did see them at the Troc, which is also a legendary night where Eddie practically climbed 
climbed to the uh, yes. owl's nest. Uh, all, the video. Yeah, you've seen it. And it's just uh, an, an incredible show. And many times since then. And uh, you just got to love Pearl Jam. Yeah. And that's why they're my number two. They're an exceptional band. And I can't argue with that. What's I'm yours, sir? In a language that everybody here can easily understand. My number two is Living Color. I really, really, really like that band. I remember. No, you don't. You really, really love that. You're band. absolutely right. You do. I really love that. So band. do I. I remember seeing Corey in the body glove suit, cult of personality, on video, going, "What the fuck is this? This is incredible. It's heavy. It rocks. You move to it. You feel good. It's smart. It was so well put together." And then they played a free concert on the University of Missouri's campus, and we got to see them, and they were just incredible live. And I kept following them from there, and I saw them a few times. I saw them play at the Gothic Theater on the Stain Tour. The Bad Brains opened up, and the lead singer of the Bad Brains did a stage dive on my face and broke my nose, so I couldn't be in the pit for the Living Color concert. And I had to watch from the front row of the balcony, and I was pissed because I couldn't be in the pit being 25. First world problems. Seriously. <laughs> Hashtag first world but problems. Yeah, they were incredible. And then I know they took a hiatus. But if you look at their last two records, Chair on the Doorway and uh, Die, Die, Shade, they're brilliant albums. They're just brilliant albums. Corey still sounds good. Vernon is an incredible guitar player. Doug Wimbish is a ridiculous bass player. And then maybe one of the greatest living drummers in Will Calhoun. Yeah. He's an insane percussionist. Who's transcended his. Uh, popularity as as a drummer to do other things, but still while being Will Calhoun, world-class yeah. drummer. Absolutely. So yeah, they're my number two. Well, my time with Living Color goes back to the beginning, and yeah. um, Biff Kennedy, who was our epic rep at the time, said this this band is going to be perfect for the show you're doing. Mm-hmm. It was The show was only on for about six, eight months maybe, and just an incredible band with an incredible amount of talent. The thing that grabbed me and when I first heard Cult of Personality was Vernon's tone because it's unique. He has a unique tone especially on those earlier records. I, I, I can't say for as much about more recently, but you're going to change that for me, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it's when Corey jumps in to sing that first strain you, that you... I went, what the fuck is this? Just like your reaction to it was like, what the fuck? And just continue to love those guys and glad that they're still doing it all these years later. So, Living Color. Number two. And now you are number one, sir, on the five favorites, bands that have been around 25 or more years and are still doing it, like mom and dad doing it. I'm going to pay homage to my brother <laughs> on this one yeah. and say the Rolling Stones, I think. Wow. They're not my favorite band of all time, but I think they're the absolute greatest rock and roll band of all time because they've done what they've done at the level they've done it for as long as they have. And the fact that Mick can get a shunt put into his heart and still just fucking crush it on stage. Six weeks later. Is absolutely exceptional, man. I'm telling you, those guys are aliens. At the end of the night, they peel their skin and breathe dryer lint or something <laughs> like that. Seriously, really how do they do it? They're unbelievable, and they continue to do it at a high level. And while their music doesn't get a lot of radio play on their newer songs uh-huh. that they maybe should, they still fill arenas and stadiums and still do it live. Still got it. And, you know, you could take the uh, Dorian Gray model, right, yeah. where they have the painting in the attic that absorbs all their aging. But look at the 
I know, seriously, and we need to seriously consider conserving the planet for Keith Richards. He's going to be around for a long-ass time. We've got to start asking ourselves, what kind of world are we going to leave him? We do. <laughs> we really do. And, you know, they're one of my faves. And believe me, there's other bands beyond the top yeah. five that were given here that we both yeah. love, and we could talk about that for yeah. a second. And but, my brother loves this band dearly, oh, and man. he's the one who really got me to appreciate them, and he's two years younger than me. He, I think it was his, he heard the live going to a go-go in the early 70s or mid-70s as a five or six year old and was like oh. great jump on point so, for anybody yeah. so yeah. he fell in love with them early and it went from there well there's one band yeah. that we share in our top you said you thought it was going to be three yeah I, I figured you two and the stones were going to be the two yeah well I would have thought you might have had uh, Pearl Jam in there too Pearl but- Jam was hard I was leaving them they were tinkering on that like that host liberty pick at the end <laughs> that number six wait a minute I'm about right to make mine okay but first you got to do your number one before do. we do our host liberty picks well dad's four lads from Dublin Sneaking into the pub to get a pint, writing rock songs, getting Larry out of his homework, helping Larry with his homework so they could go out and play gigs. When you think about bands that have been doing it a long time, and, and this is why we have to do our quick honorable mentions too, very few bands, maybe none, have done it as long as they have, over 40 years, with the same members and at the level, consistently at the level, artistically, musically, and live, the way that U2 has done it. Oh, absolutely. We can get into detail. You mentioned all the stuff about the records you jumped on. I think I might have mentioned in a previous podcast that hearing you 2 I will follow on WMMR in Philadelphia while driving to work is my jump on point mm-hmm. where it just struck me like electricity. Oh, yeah. In my, like, my, like it was, the car was electrified. Yeah. It was unbelievable. You look at the radio going, what is this? Oh, my goodness. No, I believe after I got out of the car, I I, I was driving and I, I was almost to work and I sat and listened to the end and I went, thank you, Joe Bonadonna. So, because that, I knew that this was something that I had to go and I think I went and bought it the next day. I've seen them at one point on the, in the Unforgettable Fire Joshua Tree days. I must have seen them like eight, ten times. I took a busload to the Swamps, Jersey up when I was working at MMR. Took a whole busload of fans to see them up there countless times around Philadelphia, you know, and uh, never seen them on the old sod, but that would be like one of those things where it's like, fuck yeah. You too, number one, man. I can't argue with that. I saw him at Great Red Rocks records. in 83, the only time I've ever seen him. I've had a chance to see him a few times since. Where'd you see them in 83? Red Rocks. I was well, at don't that Red fucking Rocks bitch show. about that. You were at one of the legendary I know. That's why shows. I haven't seen him since, because that's still my favorite concert of all time to this day. That night was just magical. The Divinals opened up, and that girl was like totally weird on stage, and we're all oh, like 16 her. and impressionable oh, going. Yeah. And she's yeah, like, we're going, She's touching what? herself and Touch, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but they... <laughs> I think she was cutting herself on stage. Oh, that's not And cool. the alarm. But she was into... I can't remember. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. Because I'm not trying to shed any bad light on the Divinals. I love the Divinals. Great band. Great Australian band. How do we band. get off on Divinals? But... And the alarm opened up for him that <laughs> yeah. night as well, so... That was crazy. But you two at Red Rocks show. is still my top show and seeing them live at that show and just the command of stage and they still do it at that high yes. level. Yes. At that high level. Yes. Every album is fantastic and some people even call them pretentious once in a while but everything they do is at a superbly high level and for that they are absolutely... Bono's not God but he has chatted with him on IM. <laughs> Alright, can we do honorable mentions before we wrap it up? Absolutely, we All have right. to. I'm going to start, okay? Okay. 
a band that just really got added to my list, just this master list week. It's, it's handwritten here because I don't know how we left Santana out of the uh, off the either. list. It wasn't obviously a purposeful slight. Their recent 50th anniversary of their appearance at Woodstock aside, they are one of my all-time favorite bands. And the only thing that I reason I kept them out of my top five and bumping one of mine out was because I'm not 100% sure that they went through all the years as Santana. Carlos did a lot of different stuff in his career, and I'm not 100% where that left yeah. Santana. Santana at all times. And that included a lot of solo work as Santana. Indeed. Another band that has been around now for 50 years with the same three guys. They get points for longevity as well as an incredible career in in records and all that. ZZ Top. I had the Who in my list and then when I looked it up and they had the two hiatuses, I went, nah, probably not. There's other bands that have been doing it straight through, right? And then when I saw that they didn't take any appreciable break after Moon or Ox died, I just went, okay, that makes it easier to put them on my honorable mentions. And if not for a really long break in the 90s, it is possible that E Street Band would not only be on this list, the E Street Band, just as the E Street Band, but they might be my number one. And I'd love seeing them. We'll go and see them play as a unit with Bruce, probably without Bruce if it, if it came to that, but it won't ever. And it's a beautiful thing. So so there's my honorable mentions. I'm dying to see what you got on your little list there, buddy. I know it's not little. I'm joking. Ah, Pearl Jam's on that list for sure. ACDC, Santana, yes. The Cure, Def Leppard, Doobie Brothers, Chili Peppers are probably, even though some of their stuff in the last few years I haven't been a big fan of, I still have some great memories yeah. of the Chili Peppers in the 80s and I got to see them in Fishbone on the uh, Rock Out With Your Cock Out tour. I was uh, I I saw them at the Tower Theater. Uh, It was an incredible show and uh, that was the show. I think that was the tour. I go back to the major. That was Hillel's last tour. And I go back to the major mofo party plan and a little party on your pussy as part of my history with Rich. That's when I jumped on was back then and they are an amazing band. They're a force of nature really. And yeah that early stuff they had George Clinton produced the Freaky Styley record, Andrew Gill of Gang of Four produced their first album because right. they were both so influenced by entertainment. So yeah, there's so many great bands in there. Aerosmith's another one of my favorites and Metallica are also on that list. Well, you know, we're just making lists and adding bands we love <laughs> at this point, but that's okay. But the top five thing, you know, I, I think it's real clear that, you know, well, the Nick Cave thing, you know, kind of is it with people, some people are going to tell you that it's just in, too far out of left field for them oh, to totally. agree with you. And I might be one of them, but I, but I love you, man. And we're just having too much fun doing this podcast. Podcast. And I think that we all feel what we feel about these things. And mm-hmm. the beautiful part why we, when we decided to call it five favorites mm-hmm. is because it's your favorite, man. And I, I, I dig that about you. And it's uh, just like, you know, you can sit there and say, yeah, Metallica, you know, one of yours or Pearl Jam is yeah. one of mine, you yeah. know. And that's the thing about this is it's very subjective. So there's no wrong answers, except for if you disagree with us about something substantially, like my friend Joyce, who called me out at dinner the other night for not having any Who albums from high school. She said she could understand maybe you that how could I not have a high school album from The Who in my top five or my five favorites. So and she wasn't wrong. So but uh, it's time to wrap it up here. This is look at all this paperwork, man. We got all this stuff done. And you know, I tell you, it's an exciting time to be here and working with you every week on this. As we have uh, announced last week, and we're uh, moving forward with our podcast, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, is a production of Dark Doc Media, but now distributed by Pantheon Media and. They are the rock and roll podcast people. And we're so happy to be in the company of people like Christian Swain and Martin Popoff and some of the others that are already there. And I know you have a thing about the rock and roll library and 
Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Well, and that's what yeah. we're already, we're excited to be a part of the Pantheon uh, podcast family. And so we thank them and we thank our friends at Crooked Eye Brewing in Hapro with the cure for what ails you since 2014. We thank them for their support here on the Imbalance History. Then this is five favorites. Time to wrap it up, buddy. And God knows what's coming down the pike now, you know. We've got a couple neat things going on in the next few weeks. So stay tuned. Stay with us on social media. Please follow us on Facebook, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, on Twitter, Imbalanced Histo, minus the RY. Come on, Twitter, give us the RY. Why give can't we get an RY? RY. Also, imbalancedhistory.com, and you can email us, imbalancedhistory at gmail.com. And we'd love to know what your five favorite bands who have been together for more than 25 years are. Please, especially if you are from somewhere else, not in the area listening. Exactly. Another country, please say hi and let us know where you are. We've been seeing the bumps already in Canada and we've heard from some of you and you are starting to find us on social media but just send us an email if you don't want to talk about it publicly. We understand but we're looking for your feedback and we're looking for your five favorites on these bands that were around 25 years or more. It's all part of the process here at the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. Ready to go part? I'm ready to go. Until next time. That's episode 26, Five Favorites. I'm Ray Coob. I'm Marcus in the Darkest. We'll catch you next time on the Imbalance History of Rock and Roll. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.